Well, welcome once again to Graceway Baptist Church in our Sunday School Hour. And again, may I express my appreciation to those of you who so faithfully teach every single week. I pray for you and I pray for your class and pray that these uh, videos help you as you study and may the Lord grant you understanding by His Spirit. Okay? We're looking at a lesson that's going to be presented on February the 11th of 2024. And... Uh, as you do that, by the way, remember that it's just a few days before Valentine's Day. Just a little helpful hint for you so you don't forget. And we're going to entitle this lesson, Confirming the Promised Blessing. Now, as we saw in our lesson last week, Abram is getting more and more and more knowledge as he puts this together. What is God doing? How is it going to work? And when is it going to happen? And there's so much that he doesn't know in addition to what he knows. And our problem is sometimes we focus in on the things we don't understand and ignore the things that we do. And that will uh, cause Abram problems throughout his life. He'll think that he has to take matters into his own hands and he'll have to uh, do something to help pour God out. God doesn't know what he's doing. Think about the situation in Egypt with his wife Sarai and uh, Abraham has to protect himself by living the land of promise instead of staying there where he was told to stay and trusting God to take care of him even if he had to rain manna from heaven. But no, he's got to go to Egypt. And then while he's close to Egypt, he goes, yikes, now Pharaoh's people might kill me. In other words, he didn't really improve his situation, did he? And uh, that's the way it is when we fail to trust God. We never really improve our situation things actually get worse. Well, now as Abram is back in the land, he still has questions. Not everything is making sense to him. And uh, time is going by and he's not getting any younger and Sarah is not getting any younger. And so uh, when are we going to get this thing going? When are we going to get the show on the road, so to speak? And so uh, we're going to look at Genesis 15 uh, verses 8 through 21 today. And we're going to think about this. For Abram, believing God was the basis of his relationship with God. And God honored that because salvation has always been by grace through faith. And Abram believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That's settled. But for his day-to-day -day life and the steps that he would take and what he was to understand about this promise, about this blessing, about this big thing that is going to take place in this land that is going to be given to his descendants, there's a whole lot that goes on before any of his descendants ever actually possess the land. So Abraham is not understanding how. Now he believes God. He's not saying I'm going to see if God can do it. He said, I want to find out how God is going to do it. And you know, there's a big difference in the two. When Moses later brings the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land, do you remember they sent spies out into the land and they sent the 12 spies? And 10 of the spies said, oh, it's impossible. The cities are walled. The people are like giants. And uh, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. There is no way. But Joshua and Caleb said, Hey, we can do it. The time is right. Let's go. What was the difference between the two groups of people? Well, the ten spies were looking to see if they could conquer the land. The two spies, Joshua and Caleb, were seeing how 
to conquer the land. There's a big difference. And if you take the promises of God as you uh, come to understand them and you claim those promises, the walk by faith, you're not saying, Lord, I want to see if you're going to do what you say you're going to do. That's not faith. The thing that faith would ask is, Lord, I know you're going to do it. I'm just curious to see how it's going to happen. And that's where Abram is. He doesn't understand how this is going to happen. He doesn't doubt God. He's just unsure about how it's going to happen. And the fulfillment of the promise seems to be, look at the words I have in the introduction, lagging far behind. How long has it been since Abram was promised this? Quite a while and nothing yet. And if God's going to do something, he better get busy. This, this is not making sense. And in that, we might think of it two ways. Abram's not a spring chicken. He's not any younger. And neither is his wife, Sarai. She is actually past the childbearing years. Well, how's this going to work? And how is this going to happen? And then Abram may be thinking too, I'm not getting any younger. <coughs> Time has gone by and I'm closer to the end of my life. If Abram dies of old age before he has a child, the whole thing falls apart. So Abram is saying, Lord, I believe you're going to do it, but I don't see how, and I'm praying for clarification here. And so he asked God to confirm that the promise was still on track, that nothing had derailed, nothing had uh, been thrown off or anything like that, that everything was on track for fulfillment even though his circumstances certainly made it seem unlikely. How many stories have you heard over the years about people that God called them to a certain ministry or maybe the mission field and maybe their circumstances completely turned against them and it looked like everything was going to fail. But God did something great and they just couldn't see how. They believed God was going to do it, they just didn't know how. That's where Abraham is. That's, excuse me, Abram. I did it again, didn't I? That's where Abram is. And so uh, we're going to read in Genesis 15, 18 through 21. 8, pardon me, 8 through 21. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Verse 9. So God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Well, then he brought all these to him, to God, and did something strange for us. Cut them in two, it's gruesome, down the middle, and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he, God, said to Abram, Know certainly or know with certainty that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. Now, so far, all we've heard about is the land that was going to be theirs, but they're going to be in a place that is not theirs and will serve them 
and they will afflict them 400 years. So they're going to be in a strange land. They're going to be slaves or servants and they're going to be afflicted while they're there and it's going to be for a long time. Not just a day or a moment or a year or a month. 400 years. Prophecy. Verse 14. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge. And afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You're going to die peacefully. And you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here to this place where you are, this place I promised. For the iniquity of the Amorites, those are people that are dwelling in the land of Canaan, is not yet complete. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces, the pieces of the animal. And on the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the uh, Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. In other words, your descendants are going to get that land. And God is making it more clear. Not now, not today, but someday. So, number one, notice here, that God assures Abraham. God is an assuring God. He doesn't want you wandering around in darkness. He's the one that assures you of your salvation. I can't tell you that you're saved. Your mother can't tell you that you're saved. Your friends can't tell you that you're saved. You may be the biggest fake and the biggest hypocrite ever to walk the earth and have everybody fooled, but you'll never fool God, and God wants you to walk in assurance. He tells us that we are to make our calling and election sure. It tells us in the Bible we're to examine ourselves to see whether we be in the faith. But God also assures us in His Word, in the promises that He makes to us as well. And Abram needs assurance in verse 9. Lord God, how shall I know, have confident assurance, that I will inherit it? Okay, so the Lord says, Okay, bring me these animals. So Abram did. And when he brought them to him, he cut them in two down the middle and placed them on opposite sides uh, except for the birds. Now, think about this. As Abram aged and remained childless, the promised blessing seemed more and more and more unlikely, humanly speaking. But Abram's a human. So what's his brain going to tell him? What is Sarah saying? What are the servants saying? What are the other people uh, saying here? Abram, you know, you got to be realistic about all of this. you got to use some common sense. But God is going to tell him something different. Trust me, I've got this. And as time is running out, the runway of his life is getting shorter and shorter, isn't it? Abram asked for confirmation. And so God called for the preparation 
of a covenant ceremony. Now, Abraham would have been familiar with this. This is something that they did in those days. It was called a suzerain covenant. And they would cut animals in half and make a space between them. And then they would make an agreement. And it might be a marriage agreement. Two men might be saying, my son is going to marry your daughter. And I guarantee you this is going to happen. Cut the animals, put them across, walk down it, shake hands. And we have a deal. We have a covenant. In fact, it's interesting because when we think about agreements, we don't think about cutting up animals, do we? Unless it's for a barbecue or something. But they would cut them up and walk between them. It's kind of gruesome, isn't it? And the idea of the covenant like that, the suzerain covenant was, we're going to make an agreement and if I fail to keep my part of the bargain, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And so they took it extremely seriously, whether it was buying land or trading livestock or any kind of covenant that they made. It was not just a fly-by-night kind of thing. They really, really took it seriously. And so God is getting Abram ready to say, we're going to have a covenant ceremony here. So cut the animals up and put them, here are the animals I want, cut them up, put them uh, in their places. And so Abram assumes, I'm sure, that uh, he and the Lord are going to walk between these animal pieces here. And by the way, it's interesting that the Hebrew word for covenant is barit, and uh, it literally means to cut. And so they didn't make a covenant. In the Old Testament, they would cut a covenant. Okay, And the shedding of blood and the sacrifice and all of that, you can see, of course, in the New Covenant, we're told that we have a new covenant in Christ in his blood, so we can understand that. Now, the two parties ending the agreement would walk between the halved animal carcasses. And so it's a solemn promise, and it's also a threat that if broken, may this happen to me if I break the covenant. So it's extremely serious. Number two, the covenant will be opposed. We find in verses 11 to 14 that before they can walk before it, before they can do anything, the buzzards start coming out. And the buzzards see that fresh meat on the ground of the dead animals and they want to uh, take it for themselves. Verse 11, And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, look at this, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And then God said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve those people and they will afflict them for 400 years and also the nation whom they serve I will judge and afterward they will come back with great possessions. Okay, now think about this. Abraham is entering into a covenant with God. He gets the animals. He cuts them in half. It's a good thing he was a wealthy man and had plenty of livestock, right? And then he puts him down on the ground, and then what happens? I mean, before they can make the covenant, the buzzards are circling over them to try to destroy those animals. And then Abram gets sleepy, and then a great darkness comes, and it was a kind of darkness that was thick and horrifying to Abraham, to Abram. And then after that, God says, I've got some other news for you. These descendants of yours 
these people that are kind of going to come out of your body and carry your DNA are actually going to be enslaved in a strange land that's not their own. They're going to be afflicted and they're going to be oppressed and it is going to be for 400 years and then I will bring them out and I'll bring them out with great possessions but not until then. Now, this is all saying that the covenant is really nice and cool but there are some things you need to know that are not going to be just, uh, in your mind, just hunky-dory in this whole thing. There are some threats. And the birds, the buzzards, the vultures that are circling around and the darkness that comes upon them is symbolizing the fact that the covenant is not going to be something that everybody goes, Oh, goody, look, Abram's got a covenant. Isn't that great? Oh, those are Abram's descendants. Well, we better not mess with them. They have a covenant after all. I mean, it's nothing like that at all. This covenant is going to be opposed. This covenant is going to be threatened, just like the birds threatened the covenant ceremony. Slavery in Egypt is going to threaten the covenant as well. I mean, as far as they knew, as you uh, read in the book of Exodus, they were going to be slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. How long? Forever. They had no idea where they were going. Remember, the book of Genesis had not yet been written, so they didn't know this prophecy when they were slaves in Egypt, did they? They had no idea that they were going to walk out and the Egyptians were going to go, here, you guys leave and, and as you go, take this with you so that they would leave with great possessions. How else do you think they built the tabernacle and all the gold and everything that is in this? But this is not written down yet. They don't know that this has happened and this all is not the best way, humanly speaking, to say let's make an agreement and then you're going to go through 400 years of hell and horror before it ever happens. But God is telling Abram this and he's clarifying these things and he is saying not everyone's going to rejoice over this covenant and there's going to be opposition to Abraham's, to Abram's descendants, and it's going to be a real opposition. Think about the Holocaust. Think about the wars that Israel has been through. Think about Haman in the book of Esther wanting to kill all of the Jews that were uh, in that Persian empire. It's a dark and horrible times are going to come upon them, and they're not going to be short and easy. 400 years of slavery and oppression in Egypt. And the only way they're going to survive this and enter into the promised land is going to be by the power of God. And by the way, don't think Egypt's going to get away with it because when it's all over, God will judge Egypt. Remember, God said, I will bless those who bless you and I will do what? Curse those who curse you. And so, boy, did Egypt ever pay a high price with those plagues. And God will prosper the freed slaves. And you can read about that in Exodus chapter 12, verses 33 through 36. They not only, I mean, Pharaoh begged them to leave, and they even went to the Egyptians and said, okay, we're going to leave. Are you happy to see us go? Yeah, how happy are you? Really happy. Can I have that gold chain around your neck? And they plundered the Egyptians, the Bible says. Number three, personal promises given to Abram himself. Now as for you, verse 15, 
You shall go to your fathers in peace. None of this is going to happen to you, Abram. You're not going to live to see it and you're not going to participate it. It's going to be long after you have been dead and are in the grave. You're going to go to your fathers in peace. And you shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. It's not going to be your child or your grandchild. It's going to be a long time after that. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now the Amorites were wicked people living in the land. And God said, I'm not ready to drive them out yet. They haven't done the full measure of their wickedness. And when that happens, I'll bring my judgment upon them. But in the meantime, Abram, you're going to live a long time. You're going to die peacefully. And these things are going to happen uh, after you are dead and gone. And even the Canaanites are going to be judged like Egypt was going to be judged. But only when the time was right. And we learn uh, later that it was going to be through Israel. Joshua brings them in. They cross the Jordan River. And then the Israelites, these freed slaves, begin to judge the nations. And they are being judged by God through Israel because of their sinful practices. That's a common theme in the Bible. Common theme that uh, nations who sin are judged and driven out by God. Even Israel and Judah, the split kingdom, were judged for their sins, weren't they? By Assyria in the northern kingdom and by Babylon in the southern kingdom. God is serious about sin, no matter who the nation may be. And by the way, don't think that our nation is going to escape either. Number four, the Lord ratified the covenant, but I want you to notice here, don't miss these last two words, by himself. Now, a strange thing happens. We've got the animals all laid out. We've got the birds that are trying to eat them. They've been shooed away by Abram. And now it's dark. Now it's time to walk through the animal pieces. But notice something is missing here. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed through the pieces. Well, where's Abram? If those two things represent God, well, where's Abram? Isn't he a part of this too? Why isn't he walking down between those two pieces of the animal carcasses that are there. And on the same day, verse 18 says, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Well, why didn't Abram make a covenant with the Lord? This, this kind of seems to be a, a one-way deal. You know why it seems that way? Because it is. This is the Lord saying, I'm going to do this, and Abram, just go to sleep. And I'm going to do this and I'll give you all the information you need. We don't know exactly how this happened in the chronology in it. So many times Moses was not uh, caught up in all of the exact chronology of everything, but uh, just the facts that are coming up. And we find earlier that Abram's in a deep sleep and the darkness is over here. And in the midst of that darkness, there was a smoking oven and there was the... Uh, torch that passed between the two pieces but there's no indication that Abram did it at all why because God is saying to Abram 
This covenant is not on you. This covenant is not going to be based upon your faithfulness because you're unfaithful. It's not going to be based upon the faithfulness of your descendants. Oh my word. If it were dependent upon the faithfulness of Israel, there wouldn't be a Jew on the planet. And there would be no nation of Israel, not then, not ever. Because if you read through the Old Testament, what was the history of these descendants of Abraham? Oh, we have heroes. And oh, we have times when things would go well. But let's remember, these are the same people that after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, when they are miraculously and unexpectedly set free from Egyptian bondage, I mean, they didn't know it was coming, even after they crossed the Red Sea on dry land, wouldn't you think that these people would be the most faithful ever to live? And then what happens when Moses is up on Mount Sinai? They go to Aaron and they say, Build us a calf. We don't know if Moses is coming down or not. Build us a, a golden calf that we may worship it. Behold, the Lord that led you out of Egypt. A golden calf made by people? And they bow before it and they were involved in all kinds of sexual immorality and things like that. And that's why Moses was so angered when he came down. How dare you? How dare you do this after all that God has done for you? Well, that was just the beginning. And when you read through the Old Testament, you find out that more often than not, the nation of Israel was unfaithful, that they worshipped other gods. Solomon kind of got that started. Yeah, there was David. That was a brief period of time, kind of the Camelot of Israel. But uh, Solomon, as blessed as he was and as wise as he was, he married foreign wives and brought their gods into Israel and started worshiping them. And then it got worse under his son. The kingdom split and the northern kingdom was the worst of all. The southern kingdom, Judah, had some good moments, but the northern kingdom had none and they have to be taken away into captivity. I mean, this is a mess. Think about what Jesus dealt with when he dealt with the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the people in the land of Israel. Self-righteousness, legalism, pride, all of those kind of things that were happening here. So if the covenant was between God and Abraham or God and Israel, boy, that would be wiped out completely, wouldn't it? But God walked through the animals by himself and made the covenant, set the terms of the covenant, and he is saying, this is on me. You will never be faithful enough. You will never live up to your terms. And they didn't. And yet, you know what? Out of all of those people that we read about that were mentioned, that were living in the land in that time, do you know any of them? Any Perizzites? Any Girgashites? Anybody like that? No, they're all gone. You know any Jews? Yeah. Is there a nation of Israel? Yeah. Is it on the land that was promised? Yeah. Now, they don't have all of it yet. They will in the kingdom when the Lord reigns, but they don't have all of it right now. And everywhere you go in Israel, I mean, you can hardly turn over a spade of dirt without digging up something that confirms what the Bible says and shows that this is uh, the truth about the Jew and about Israel. 
Charles Krauthammer said before he died that Israel is the only nation that is still worshiping the same God, living in the same land, and speaking the same language as they did 3,500 years ago. Nobody else does that. Why is that happening? Because God is a faithful God, and He has made a covenant, and He has put the covenant on Him. Now, there are some other ancient civilizations and things that we find, Egypt, for example, but they don't have the covenant of God, and nobody tried to exterminate them either. How many times has someone tried to exterminate the Jew? Think about the rise of anti-Semitism even now. People on college campuses, uh, Jewish students that fear for their lives, things like that. Well, this is nothing new. This has been going on and on and on and on and on and on throughout their history. They've been opposed as symbolized by the vultures. They've been enslaved. They have been, uh, tried, they've tried to wipe them out. And yet, they remain. If you want any confirmation that the Bible is the Word of God, look at Israel. Look at the Jew. The promises that God made by Himself to Abram are still intact and still uh, in force. And so He says to Abram, I'm going to give this land to your descendants from the river in Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, And then he lists all of these people, all of these ites that are here, and they are all gone, just as God promised. And he is telling him here that in spite of them, you're going to inherit the land. Now I'm sure the Israelis that were freed from slavery in Egypt, when they finally came into the crossing the Jordan River into the land of promise, They probably didn't look all that impressive. But we find when we see the spies sent into Jericho and they talk to Rahab the harlot, do you remember what she said? She said, our hearts melted within us because of you. They didn't have to send out spies. They didn't have to be afraid. The people of the land were terrified because these Israelis had the power of God upon them and a covenant with God that they were living by and that they were trusting in. This is an amazing thing. All of these people groups that God names, they can't handle these Jews that are coming in from slavery in Egypt. I mean, it doesn't matter. Even in the times when they are not ready to fight, not prepared to fight, not well trained to fight, they just march around the city and the walls collapse. How are you going to stand up against that? And why does that happen to them and not to anyone else? Because God made a covenant with Israel, with the Jews, and He did it through Abraham. So, here we find this covenant and God is saying to them, this covenant is all on me, it's unilateral, and God will fulfill this without Abram or his descendants' help or even their faithfulness. This is an amazing thing. And notice that God did not say in here, I will give, but He says it like this, I have, I've already given it to you. It's as good as done. It's just a matter of time before all of this happens. So let's wrap this up. As believers in Christ and having a new covenant, and remember Jesus said, I'm giving you a new covenant and it'll be based on You and me will agree in this together. Is that what he said? No. 
It's a new covenant in my blood. They didn't cut up animals. Christ was the one that was cut up, so to speak, when he was beaten and put on a cross. And he said, this is all on me. Just believe what I have told you. And so we have a new covenant in his blood. And we're given confirmation, like Abraham asked for, of God's promises. And we have the completed Bible, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable, right? And then we also have the indwelling Holy Spirit, Romans 8.16, like we saw last week. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And John 16, verse 13, the spirit guides us into all truth. And he is the one that uh, takes care of us and gives us that blessed assurance through the word of God. And then we even have the Lord's Supper as found in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. As often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Why? Because it's as good as done because we have a covenant and the covenant is not on us and our faithfulness. One of the dumbest things I think I've ever heard is Jesse Duplantis saying that he had a prophecy that Jesus had not come back because the body of Christ had not given enough. Oh, and by the way, guess who he was uh, wanting them to give their money to? Yeah, him. And to think that God is in heaven saying, well, Jesus, are you ready to go? No, they haven't given enough yet like it's on us. That's ridiculous. The covenant is all on him. And he will come in due time. And he will rescue us. And he will take us to heaven. And we'll have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we'll come back. And we will rule and we will reign with him. And it's a guarantee. Because it is all upon him. What a faithful, wonderful God that we have. Because he knew if he put it on us, we would fail. As you've heard people say before, if we could lose our salvation, we would. We would. But thankful, I'm thankful that it says in the scripture, when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Isn't that good news? I hope that encourages you. And as you learn this from the life of Abram, think about this, God is faithful today as well because he doesn't change. So thank you again for your time. May the Lord bless you. And we look forward to seeing you as we continue on next week.